Well, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're back, back at it. Yet another week, yet another program. I'm one half of your host, Dial Ososki, broadcasting from the uh, Central European studio, trying to soak up all the good things we got in the last uh, few warm days before fall and pumpkins rain down upon my head. And I'm uh, joined by my trusted colleague and co-host, David Clement, who's, uh, I assume, doing the same in uh, yes. Toronto, Canada. How are you doing, David? Yeah, pumpkins and Halloween decorations and pumpkin spice lattes. Super weird. Halloween, not a thing here, but um, if you go to the store, you can find plenty of Halloween stuff. So uh, great North American capitalism wins again. <laughs> yeah, but people don't trick or treat, right? Uh, there's not a trick or treating. There's like a group of Americans and stuff will do that. But, you know, I just see it. If there's Halloween stuff that's in the stores and people buy it, it's just a big old boost to the economy. So not a bad thing. <laughs> Everybody needs a little bit. Well, David, it's been a really crazy uh, couple of weeks. We had some uh, travel in between, um, moving around. I had Oktoberfest, which unfortunately yeah. I missed out on. How We've was had plenty that? Of, uh, Oktoberfest went really well. Um, it was a pretty. Uh, it was not a sanguine affair. It was a uh, very civil. Uh, it was uh, not as loud as I remembered. Normally, they play the the big music and songs. I mean, they just had like the customary. Every 10 minutes, you know, bullshit, uh, call for a, a, you know, a toast. But uh, none of the big band stuff. Might have been because we were there during the week and you're there during lunchtime or something. Okay. So it was a little calmer than you were uh, used to. A little calmer. I mean, the city's obviously turned inside out because there's a lot of people, yeah. a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of tourists. I mean, I, I could, it's just like that one time we went to, to uh, Cuba on vacation where you have a bunch of guys talking about, you know, what side of the highway they live on or something i'm sure it was the same there with canadians and americans because there's plenty of tourists you can tell us like, what exit do you live at you know basically yeah, yeah so a lot that of that right. yeah and did uh so yeah the that was in germany germany which is on record pace closing down all of its uh, nuclear power plants uh, in lieu of coal uh the coal revolution yeah. is here <laughs> Uh, so that is a great, uh, wonderful thing that the environmentalists and the Green Party folks uh, have delivered in Deutschland. Uh, but that's not the only news we got in the world, David. There's been a lot of stuff. We've got uh, what a surprise, bad policies um, up in Canada. We've got a uh, speaker's chair that's vacant in the U.S. Uh, we had a couple op-eds between us about various topics. Uh, where do you want to begin here? I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the opening salvo here. Give us the gold, baby. Yeah, where do we want to start? Do you want to start in the U.S.? Do you want to start in Canada? Because there's just so much. Well, let's start off on kind of one guy who has um, made the news. And, and, you know, I talked about bringing the gold. We are devaluing American money so rapidly that in America today, you can't even bribe Democrat senators with cash alone. You need to bring gold bars to get the job done just so that the bribes hold value. We are oh boy, and that's uh, Matt Gates. Um, they're on the, <laughs> on the floor of the House talking about uh, Rabbi Menendez, uh, New Jersey senator. Who uh, this is not his first rodeo in terms of corruption charges, but uh, essentially an allegation that he was doing the bidding of the Egyptian government, getting cash payments, getting gold bars put in his jacket, normal stuff in 2023. And one of the best, most hilarious speeches from the floor. He's basically using the Menendez issue to talk about 
government spending and inflation and whatnot. But he did it in such an entertaining way. And the funny thing is, is that that wasn't even uh, Gates's biggest hit for the week. Um, he successfully ousted Speaker McCarthy, um, which is, I mean, there are a lot of angles there. Um, it's being read as like sowing chaos in Congress because they have to figure out who the next Speaker of the House is going to be, um, which is probably going to be a hard-fought process. Um, and I'm no fan of Mr. Gates. Uh, I think he's rather unserious most of the time. Um, but he did have some very good reasons for wanting to oust McCarthy in terms of restoring the way Congress is supposed to work. And even Justin Amash, who, former congressman, Michigan's third district, definitely no fan of Matt Gates, came out and said, yeah, this is, like, the reasons here are solid um, in terms of restoring procedure and um, how amendments are done and spending bills are decided and all of that kind of accountability stuff. I think you might have to, uh, David, uh, revise your assessment of Mr. Gates uh, after a little while. Uh, so why I say that, uh, he's on the consumer choice side on a couple of things. He's, uh, okay. he's joined with Democrats and with Nancy Mace to try to legalize cannabis. Mm-hmm. That's been a big one. Um, he's generally been a pro-cryptocurrency um, monetary competition fella. Um, not really on the good side when it comes to tech policy or antitrust, but generally pretty good on free speech, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, Ukraine, you know, it's not necessarily a consumer issue, but depending on where you fall on that, uh, you might have a different opinion. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right all overall in the substance. And, you know, I, what's so frustrating is obviously how this is, how is this told to the masses? Because I was tuned into C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. Like an absolute nerd. Many people weren't. And many people just know, you know, reading Times or whatever newspaper, he's a, quote, far-right person. And uh, obviously this is something about Nazis in Congress or those in Parliament. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's being categorized as something like that, but he, he spoke very clearly. It's like the process that was promised to us is that we would have not just one huge mega bill at the end of the year. We'd have different spending bills. We'd have open amendments. And we figure out a way that we can collaborate on this stuff rather than just having something that shows up, you know, two days before Christmas and you got to figure out how to fund the entire government trillions of dollars, which makes a lot of sense. Well, and it's it, it's something that both parties at, at different periods, both we've had people in both parties push for. Right. Like how many times. Do they get like an omnibus bill, which is like a trillion pages long? Nobody's read it. Everyone's added in their little special earmarks for silly things in their own district. Um, And there's no accountability. There's no like single voting on specific items. And so are are we going to return to that or get that at some point? I'm not hopeful. I don't think so. Um, But the idea is great. Yeah, and I look, this is at least one way to do it. And, you know, I've heard a lot about democracy. And a lot of people say, oh, well, this is very anti-democratic as well. It's like the guy's using the procedures and the rules of the body. It's not as if this is some extra legal affair. 
And, you know, this kind of stuff is what makes a, an American type system, a congressional system, interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, could you have this uh, happen in, in, let's say, British parliamentary systems where you have this change and changing of leaders and infighting? And, you know, there was a move we should not forget not too long ago to do the same to Nancy Pelosi from the squad because mm -hmm. uh, they want her to, you know, push a lot of policies that we probably disagree with. Uh, they were not as successful. And, you know, I don't know. I can't really speak for Democrats. I mean, they just yeah. anything that can promote bad headlines for the other guys is good for them, I guess. But I think it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. I like that we have these kind of shenanigans and, you know, we don't have a dictator type system. I kind of well, like yeah, that. I mean, you raise a very good point. It's not anti-democratic to use the mechanisms of democracy to have a leadership change in the House. Anyone who's saying that, like, things you don't like are not anti-democratic by default. And <laughs> Boy, boy, we could tell that to a lot of people, because I'll tell you, yeah, they've been using but, that term like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, but across the board, it's just like it doesn't work that way. You, there was a motion to vacate. He got the votes. <laughs> That's all it was. He got the votes. I don't know. Take it up with yeah. your, your congressperson. You know, he, he made an interesting points about lobbyist funding, and we kind of know that about committee chairs and speakers. Mm -hmm. Like, you get that if you raise a ton of money. You know, if you're yes. like a hot, like AOC came in, and yeah, she was a hot shot, but she was not raising hundreds of millions of dollars and then spreading around to different Democratic colleagues. Mm -hmm. You know, she was coming in on media and star power, uh, but that doesn't win you, you know, chair of the woke committee or whatever committee you want to be the chair of. You know, it takes many, many years, many dollars, and you give a lot of that fundraising money and packs to a bunch of other people. And yeah. it's not, that's not in the Constitution. You know, Justin Amash, when he was a congressman, used to talk about yeah. that a lot. I love that he's still active on Twitter and can engage in this stuff. Or, as this uh, Reason article suggests, you know, perhaps as um, a candidate to be drafted as a Speaker of the House. Ooh, that would be lovely. Because he would actually write the ship. Because he also he could, and not... he's got insular knowledge. I mean, people talk about Trump doing it, but that's just ridiculous. It's like not even a serious yeah. point. No, uh, <laughs> that feels just like chasing a headline. It's yeah, it's very low. It's a very low energy move on Trump Trump's part. That's like yeah. a, you get that on OAAN or whatever that channel is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you'll you'll get good mention there, but nothing else. And you yeah. know, there's there's other Trump trials in the news. I don't think they're that important because whatever no policy ideas it's just strange workings of the criminal justice system that i hope i never have to encounter myself but uh then again if i try to run for president uh not that i can legally we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah yeah just i mean don't commit fraud it's like i think what we've learned here in terms of the most of the one that he's in trial for now where that goes i'm not sure um and the, 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 I don't, the problem is I don't know enough about how, let's call it white-collar crime, is prosecuted in the same way. So, like, is it unique to him? Or do they go after other uh, entities this rigorously uh, on inflating your assets for the purpose of getting loans and all that jazz? 
All if I they know do, is if they do, then this. it's a constant standard. If they don't, then it just feeds the narrative that he's the victim and that this is politically motivated, which is not great for the democracy. What well, I was trying to avoid using that word. Um, no, but it's not great for Americans' trust in the system if there are disparities, right? It's like the, the Hunter Biden case, which now appears to be more falling into the category of him being treated like a normal person rather than um, the son of the president because he's now, he's now being recharged on firearms offenses, lying on his paperwork in terms of being a drug user and uh, – getting firearms. Um, and so that would make him more like a normal person rather than the old deal that he, he did have, which a lot of people were wondering, well, does any, does any other drug user who lies on a firearms application get essentially a suspended sentence? Usually those people have the book thrown at them. Pretty serious. Um, and so we'll see where that goes. But the, the more you can erase the disparities, the better. Consistent standard applied across the board, doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, normally Trump doesn't go to any of these trials um, that he's either, you know, been indicted on or something. But this one was about money and his money. So you know he was there in the front row. <laughs> uh, so I couldn't tell you if this is uh, normal. You know, there's been a lot of... Uh, different political talking points about how we don't crack down enough on white collar crime. There's a lot of it that's happening right in front of us. And, you know, um, Jeffrey Epstein never got his bank account shut down. But uh, if you protested the Canadian government, because you'd be in jail. Uh, that's a whole other <laughs> issue. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get into those, David. Um, you know, we, we had a couple of um, media hits as well in, and uh, op-eds that we had published. And our colleagues are doing great work over there at Consumer Choice okay. Center. So we do want to highlight that once we're back. Uh, but we, we got a number of issues, man, because, uh, oh, it's uh, it's been a frustrating time. Um, this is uh, it's something that we're going to be very, very vigilant on a lot of these issues, whether it be your digital freedom or what's happening with housing or taxes, yeah. carbon taxes, energy policy. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's impacting people. So we're, we're going to get into it here once we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. You guys keep listening. We're broadcasting on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network every Saturday at 1 p.m. And over there, podcast, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. We'll be right back after this. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. David, you'll have to forgive me. I was a bit late. Um, I had to go and uh, register our podcast with the uh, Canadian <laughs> government, uh, CRTC. My bad. <laughs> yeah, what a, it's such a weird... I, I haven't heard anyone... So the backstory here is... Yeah, give, give a good background for those who aren't uh, absolutely online-based. Yeah. Yeah, the government wants to include podcasts in the Online News Act. And so if you have a revenue over $10 million in Canada, you have to register with the government. Um, so that, that doesn't that impacts like 0.01% of podcasts in Canada, but it impacts all of the platforms that host podcasts, whether it be Apple, Spotify, and so I, the the feeling is right now is that this is to lay the groundwork for some 
further regulation once you have all the information to lay the lay the groundwork for some information or regulation on podcasts and i haven't seen anybody in this space who does this speak positively of it um like jesse brown at canada land was very outspoken against it can we go to his tweet real Uh, quick yeah he had the best one ever and it's it's a hell of a thing when the biggest threat to your business is your own government who say they're trying to help you. <laughs> well, bro, <laughs> some of us have been talking about that for decades. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I respond with the meme of uh, James Franco in the noose saying, first time? <laughs> first time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, this is we've talked about it before, David. It's one of our constant themes. You know, if you sharpen the tool of government uh, to go against uh, one side, you know, be prepared when the pendulum swings back because it'll strike right back at you. Well, and, and anyone who's cheerleading this, it's like you want a Pierre Polyev government to have – to have podcasts register with the CRTC and the regulator? But registration, David, is just to get the address and the URL. Uh, yeah, for now. I'm still For manning. now. But it, op- it completely opens the door to Canadian content regulations or um, other forms of, of uh, not censorship, but review from the government and it's like well i don't think that that is the best way forward do you should you have to register with the government to engage in free expression in podcast form probably not regardless of how much money you make off of it so no i don't think so yeah and um what's the point of a registry anyway and we heard from so the crtc they had put out a guidance that said, yes, through these publishers, you know, there will need to be these individual information and then they will be responsible. So the biggest fear essentially is not just on the Canadian content side, but then Spotify, Apple. Uh, and again, we are distributed on the podcast index and open source podcasting apps. So we're free of all of this. But just to say, they would then be empowered or required to do some kind of governance over the either percentage of Canadian content or Aboriginal content or French content, David. Maybe we need to pivot. Do a nice little 25% Franco-Québécois, 25% Indigenous heritage. We We can do five minutes where you speak French, and I have no idea what you're saying. Um... And and then we'll we'll be good. Well, then we can check the French box, which is great. Um, yeah, I, it, it just feels like when Spotify, let's say, has to register, then they're going to come down and be like, okay, well, are thirty percent of your podcasts Canadian, or do you? Hey, what or, does or it do mean, Canadian? <laughs> right. Well, like that's a great question. Um, like. Are we Canadian enough? I'm using a Swedish mic connected to an Austrian internet connection. Maybe not. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, and what's hilarious is that when it's all said and done, depending on what the regulations are, in theory, let's say the CRTC at some point says, okay, well, you have to promote Canadian podcasts. Well, then Spotify has to pick what they're promoting and and 
that opens up a whole nother can of worms because you don't have um, podcasts rising to the top because people listen to them. You have podcasts rising to the top because the government says they need to promote Canadian content. And then Spotify, rather than listeners, is the arbiter of what's at the top of the list. Um, so our task, I guess, will be how do we get to the top of that list? Uh, that is true. There's, um, <laughs> you know, what? Yeah, I, I do have an idea, David. We do have some gold bars in storage that we can. Uh, I would I would hope. And uh, Spotify has been they've grown a backbone uh, lately. I mean, they, they had yeah. a lot of these calls to you know get rid of Joe Rogan and stuff. I don't know if they would do the same against an entire country. And um, the legislation, we've seen Meta and Google hold pretty strong against everything that's happened there. Uh, I mean, Canada is uh, essentially, it's creating a wall around itself. And yes, there's, very much so. there's no recognition internally. I, I don't know if you saw, I think I sent it to you, this great uh, post, not by a Canadian, uh, but by a Brit living in the U.S., Douglas Murray. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote this uh, great piece in the National Post. Um, it's just like, just do, do Canadians realize, you know, like people are looking from around the world, like what is happening up there, man? What is in the water? What melted from the permafrost of the Canadian Arctic to create this scenario? Uh, and I don't think what, any, what it, virus, yeah, what virus what has virus been emerged? And I don't know if there's enough recognition, um, amongst uh, particularly those who might be in the liberal government or connected to it, people have power to, to realize that. I, I think they might be just really protected by the same algorithms they deplore uh, to the opposite. Yeah, I mean, there was a great tweet on this, and I forget who it was, but it was like, if I'm Pierre Polyev and the conservatives, I'm doing everything in my power to rush all of this legislation through to force it to a conclusion because as soon as Canadians can't Google things and they can't use, they can't share on Facebook or it expands and then it ruins Spotify or YouTube. Um, it would be a great easy political win to be like, look at what Justin Trudeau did and I'll fix it by getting rid of these, these silly rules. And these are, these uh, are things that everybody Everybody touches. Everybody's got some kind of social media account or listens to something on Spotify or one of these platforms. All this digital stuff that's happening, stuff that impacts like normal people. You know, normally a lot of legislation well, is only for farmers or only for these guys or oil yeah. people. But this is like everybody doesn't matter your income level. One, it doesn't matter your income level, but it also becomes increasingly more important the younger you are. Because if you had someone in our age bracket, the percentage of those who don't have any type of social media, don't use YouTube and or Spotify and or Apple podcasts would be what, a couple percent maybe? Very few who just don't engage in that ecosystem at all. So it is something that impacts everybody. And the thing is, is that no, no one is calling for this. No one in the podcast space is calling for this. I love that and point. Like, who is the who's the lobbyist for this issue? Really, this is what I don't understand. Because the biggest podcast in Canada, um, like if we look at the, the political sphere, like Jesse Brown does great work at Canada Land. Um, certainly comes from a left 
bend um, politically, but he does. He, he's got great content. He digs into things, um, and he like he's like he is Canadian content. He's not calling for this. Like nobody is calling for this. Nobody in the space is saying, "Hey, we need help." We need help. Help us. We're <laughs> drowning. Send more clicks. Yeah. Well, those clicks aren't going to happen. I tell you, David, it's the perfect time to pitch uh, our own VPN company and sell it to Canadians. Because at, at some point, once the, the wall, the digital, the the Niagara Falls Dam wall around Canada will make the we internet a, we, so unusable. We Yeah, once the wall is up, we'll need a... Uh... <laughs> we'll need a Pierre Polyev speech of Mr. Trudeau, tear down that wall. Tear down all these walls. And like, you know, Canada still doesn't have free trade between provinces. So you got all this yeah. stuff that's happened. And I, it is true the way that Douglas Murray said it in this national post piece is like, who is Trudeau ruling for? Like, who, who does it's like someone who's sitting in a Toronto coffee shop, you know, I. <laughs> And that's all they do. Like th th their politics are being reflected in, in what's happening here. But man, could you imagine being in, uh, let's say, the Atlantic provinces, and you see all, all this carbon tax, putting things up through the roof? You know, you're just like yeah. uh, you're a tech firm in Alberta, and you got all these taxes and weird registration forms you got to sign. It's like, is this some kind of Soviet leftover? Am I in Bulgaria? What happened? <laughs> Bulgaria. How, how did we get here? How did I end up in Sofia? I, mean, I thought it was in Edmonton. But it, I mean, it's a serious like. It, it just is like the like the administrative state to oversee all of this is incredible. Like the CRT, and something came about the the CRTC a little while back, and it was like, yeah. Because they're trying to figure out what to do with the Online News Act, they can't actually, like, field real complaints, which is supposed to be their job. And so, like, there's a backlog there, and it's just because, like, they're probably understaffed in, in terms of what they're going to have to do in the future. Um, like, think about it. In the Online News Act, the CBC or the CRTC is supposed to be, like, the arbitrator in the deals between Meta and all of these news companies. But what counts as news? There's hundreds of them, if you include small digital outlets. And so you have to have CR the CRTC in the room to figure out what is a good deal and what is a bad deal between Meta and, and um, some online news outlet that maybe nobody reads. Um, and... It's just like, it, it's, I can't figure it out because even the optics aren't it, on it aren't good, right? It's not like, okay, this is bad policy, but everybody wants it, so I can see why they're doing it. I, I just don't, I don't see it. I'm like, who, who, who are you listening to and why are you paying them for that? We live in a dark moment. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a dark moment. And it's exactly at the time when you do have so much innovation that's happening online and um, podcasting. Obviously, I've been a huge fan of and we've been pumping out episodes here since January 2020. Uh, they've been consistent. Those are 
hosted online uh, with, uh, I, th- I actually think it's a Swedish company, Omni. And uh, that feed goes out. Anybody can download it to their phone. And it's a free medium. And I think that is, uh, there's a great uh, public substack. It's called Public by M- Michael Schellenberger. They had a, uh, I think it was Stephen Moore. Uh, he had a good piece on why there is such a crackdown on this kind of stuff. And it is this, uh, you know, constant refrain of disinformation. And there is no moderation force right now for podcasting, only how big is your audience? And that is something that if you are someone who's up in the elite and people are talking about vaccine mandates or things you don't want them to talk about, I can see that there'd be some area of concern. And that's easily how you can see this registration path, you know, start to put up the barriers that could be future regulation. I mean, isn't that weird? We're forecasting future regulation that might come. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, great yeah. time to start Ugh, a podcasting company, fellow Canadians. <laughs> well, and, and the, the thing is, is with all of these, like, with the focus on disinformation, where it's like, yes, of course, I understand the inclined, like the, oh, like, this could have negative outcomes if this goes unchecked. Like, I get that point of view. But there have just been so many instances where public officials... Whether it's misinformation or disinformation, there's a distinction, have got it wrong. And do we, are we removing their accounts? Like I think of the, the previous health minister in the beginning of the pandemic who's like, masks don't work. There's, but we'll get more, more to that when we get back. But Oh, yeah. Um, Many more examples. We'll talk about it here on Consumer yeah. Choice Radio. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Before we went to break there, David just uh, had to drop this bomb about all of the public officials who've made statements that uh, we could now consider as either disinformation, misinformation, or a lie at the time. Um, David, there was a great video that was put together by uh, the Matt Taibbi. I'm talking a lot of sub- Substack today. Look at the, me in the yeah. alternative media space. What am I doing? How much stock do you have in Substack? Uh, it was a private company, which I did, I would, and I'd love uh, to have a package deal where I can like pay for at least, you know, a couple of them. Uh, so there, there's yeah. a video that's on the Matt Taibbi Substack put together by this uh, video reporter, Matt Orphalia. Uh, he does a lot of these montage videos that you've probably seen, you know, it's like clips of pe- what people were saying two years ago about the pandemic and things like that. Uh, he's put together some golden ones about Fauci. Okay. And the pandemic and what has been done. He did one recently on Ukraine. I mean, it's not the uh, the principal topic here, but this is the kind of thing to where uh, apparently that video that just showed clips of Fauci talking on te- television, that stuff was struck down by YouTube for going against the COVID policies. <laughs> and it was just it, it was just Fauci talking. That's weird. And unfortunately, the jawboning the- stuff is is the stuff that I'm I'm the most worried about because, yeah, I mean, governments are going to try to do this and that. But what if they're using pressure to really try to stop particularly tech firms from hosting your opinion or saying a certain thing? Uh, you know, that's we're not in a good world there. And jawboning no. is, is something that is not just, you know, something that Democrats like to do or people on the left. All right. You know the word jawboning? I did a lot of jawboning. I mean, Trump's a big jawboner, too. 
Jawboning just means, you know, you put pressure on private institutions to censor speech or compel behavior that you can't do legally. That's the stuff that I'm more concerned about because it's never going to be a law, right? It's just like no, it's in this podcast me. scenario of like Spotify would crack down on David for bringing up too much positive talk about the, I don't know, Maple Leafs or something. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's just threats, essentially. It's like, if you don't do X, I might use this stick and make you do it. And so they ended up, they ended up, they most of the time end up caving, unless they really have a backbone. Obviously, there are some instances where these larger companies have actually said no and fought back. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a troubling precedent because it's not law, but it, it, it's like behind the veil of like, well, we could. We absolutely could. David, I want to do a pivot real quick. Um, mm -hmm. We don't normally talk about this, but there have been a, a number of strikes in the news, labor. I mean, yeah. we definitely talked about the writer strike out there in Hollywood. Um, now we got yep. uh, UAW. I assume some Canadians are also on strike. It's normally on par. Oh, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, so we got all this yeah. labor strikes. Um, what do you how do you think this is going to impact stuff do you think they're you know is this just a this is what happens in inflationary recessionary times is there like legit demands like what's your take on well, you, that you i think we're going to get an inflation wage spiral where inflation is the reason for or the justification for wage increases totally get that right it's becoming a lot more expensive just to survive and then those wages put upward pressure on prices, and prices go up. Inflation becomes stickier. Rates stay higher for longer because you can't get inflation down. Um, and you just kind of have this roundabout where you're just in this circle of, well, inflation's up, so we have to be paid more. Well, okay, then you're paid more, then the cost of goods goes up. And I'll give you an example from Canada, which, I mean, kudos to Unifor for negotiating this but man if you're gonna buy a car in the next five years good luck um basically they they increased the they negotiated over a it's like over a three-year period um a forward worker let's say with one year seniority their wages average wage is going to go from 28 bucks an hour to like 49 bucks an hour whoa it's like nine it's like 90 grand a year and like anytime I talk to anybody about it, they're like, "Oh, we'll just—I guess we're just all going to work at Ford." <laughs> it's like the ideal place. Where do I put in my application? <laughs> and but this is the thing: is like, yes, it's great that those people are going to make money uh, or more money, but how much of labor is a factor in the final price of cars? Obviously, it's a huge one. And so, how do you not have? The price of vehicles go up. How much is this Silverado going to cost in the end? You know. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're going to be buying Honda Civics for fifty grand. And that's a 1996. <laughs> yeah, oh, with one wow. of those annoying mufflers that's too loud. It sounds like a lawnmower. I think I'm good. I think I I met my peak at um. I think I my car is like what 2021. So I met the peak because the car doesn't get any smarter. So I will not buy anything newer than a 2021, and therefore okay. I can avoid all these other costs. I'll always be hanging out in the secondary market. But then again, secondary used car markets are also, like, impossible right now. 
They're brutal. Brutal. Um, I paid more just because I because it was available. Um, in many cases, a like a, like a 2022 Hyundai Elantra that's used with, let's say, 30,000 kilometers on it is more expensive than a brand new Elantra. Because you have to wait six months for the new Elantra to show up for a variety of reasons. Um, so, yeah, the used market is... But is wild. you got any kind of special tech in there? Is this a hybrid car or anything weird like that or no? No. This is pure old gasoline. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a... I mean, it's better on gas than most cars because it's small. Um, but, yeah, no, no hybrid, no plug-in, no nothing like that. It's just just a car and that's a big uh, deal in a lot of these labor negotiations is you know this is at the ford plant and they still make you a lot of gasoline vehicles and they're talking about yeah. making a lot more battery cars and, and doing that but battery cars just require less workers you know well, i don't know how possible. less. well it requires less workers that are domestically in your plant versus you know the guys digging the stuff out of the ground in china or africa yeah yes that's yeah that's an important distinction uh, Very true. Uh, yeah, and it, uh, I mean, we've talked about EVs before, um, and I've written about it in terms of getting rid of the, the silly dealer franchise laws that stop people from being able to buy Teslas from Tesla. Um, but at the same time, we're starting to see it here in Canada where it's like we have to have a serious conversation about the energy grid if everyone's plugging in their car because that's like, it's pretty high demand. And funny enough, it would be high demand for a lot of people around the same time, right? Everyone's getting home from work. You put your car in the garage. What are you doing? You're plugging it in. Let's say some future scenario where 80% of the neighborhood is plugging in their car at the end of the end of a workday. I mean, how do you how do you manage that? How do you navigate it? Like. I would love to see someone who is really on the EV train go all in on nuclear and just be like, doesn't matter. Plug it all, plug them in all at the same time. Well, we yeah, it. if you got a couple of solar panels, solar panels, you have to light up some LED lights to put on the solar panels in order to power everything at that point because <laughs> yeah. you're just not going to have the capture of the energy. And you're, you're right about the grids. I mean, Canada's blessed with a lot of hydroelectricity and obviously in nuclear and places like Ontario – uh, but in a lot of different places, it doesn't matter, man. If you've got peak demand, uh, you got a lot of people who are, like me, running Bitcoin miners all night, <laughs> trying to plug in their electric cars. They've got their computers on. They've got you know, Netflix showing that they you know, get recording their podcast. They've got to register. And uh, it's uh, not a good time. I, I would hope that electricity politics, so-called, would get better. Uh, but... It really seems like the electrification of absolutely everything at all costs is basically the only political talking point. I, I did see one thing, if we can talk about the UK, uh, Rishi mm-hmm. Sunak. Uh, he's had a couple of bad ideas lately, but he had one good one. Uh, he's kind of off the net zero bus. Yeah, he, back, he walked that back. And uh, that's pretty good. Australia still sticking to it. Canada obviously still sticking to it. Joe Biden, I think someone prodded him and said he had to say it which is still doing it a lot of states uh but rishi sunak is kind of seeing it. he's like look we're not going to punish consumers in the short term for some goal that we probably can't reach you know we have to find a way to innovate our way out of this not just make everybody poorer 
in the short term. Yeah. Which I appreciate it. Yeah. That was one of his few good things because he's had a couple doozies lately. Generation Endgame. You're born after a yeah. certain year, you can't buy a Siggy. Yeah, and I, everyone I've talked to about that, like casually, has been like, wait, so it's prohibition? That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple. Yeah, it's a prohibition. And uh, doing it generationally, you know, uh, anybody born after you know, 2009 can't sip a Coke anymore. You know, that's kind of what we're looking at. <laughs> and what's it'll be interesting to see if that um, if that takes root in Canada, because I could totally see Ottawa wanting to do something like that. Um, what are you talking about? They already got a committee, I assume. They've already got draft I'm legislation. Sure, I'm sure they do. But just think about what that would mean. Like, think about the, the full range of government policy here, where it's like in BC, you could... You could be 19 and do crack or heroin, but you couldn't buy a cigarette. And look, I don't suggest anybody do, I don't suggest anybody do either of those things. Um, But the disparity there is wild. And then you factor, we talked about this before, alcohol is like, don't have a third beer that week. And it's like, wait a second, (laughs) how does this work? Yeah, and especially with more of the financial controls and bank accounts. Um, one thing, David, that as a consumer corner recommendation, um, I'd love to see a lot more of these apps. Um, there's a lot of services like privacy.com. They allow you to hook up your debit card or your bank account um, to yeah. this service. And um, every time that you buy something at a merchant, um, essentially at your bank, it just shows up privacy.com. It will not say... You know, you got Starbucks or you got gas or you got anything. Uh, so you just like buy through that merchant. So it kind of masks it for the bank. Uh, let's say you're, you know, anything that you are trying to buy and just want to keep a bit off the record there. Uh, a lot more tools like this are, are going to spring up because they're going to they're going to be clamping down. They started very easily. You know, you can't buy guns using MasterCard or something like that in the U.S. Yeah. But it'll get to the point where you can't buy gasoline anymore with this ESG card or something like this. (laughs) So use your government uh, digital token coin, you know, buy the right things, buy a banana. No second beer. No, no no third. You can have a second. Okay, you can have two. That's your limit. Yeah, but you can't have uh, you can't have a third. Then then it's a problem. Then your um, uh, then your little armband will shock you. Um, you'll get this emergency alert like our American friends got yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh so yeah, dark time, David. Uh, well, look, let's get to uh, some of the fun stuff. We're closing out the program here. Um, any good articles you wanted to highlight that you've uh, been able to put together, or or things that our colleagues have done, things to to brag uh, yeah, about, I, as it were. Well, I had a uh, one in the Globe and Mail about repurposing commercial. Uh, real estate and uh, I always love reading the comments um, because sometimes people, one guy's like this is the best thing I've ever read and then someone's like yeah this guy's an idiot this is way too simple obviously he owns an office building and just wants to offload it <laughs> he's obviously a commercial real estate scion <laughs> obviously <laughs> I mean I wish um, I'll wait for that check in the mail 
um, yeah, that was that was my latest. Yeah, very cool. I had a paper out on um, medical loss ratio in the dental insurance industry. There's a lot of stuff we could write about. When it comes to insurance, uh, there is plenty. But uh, working on some nuclear energy stuff that hopefully we can get out over out into the transom because uh, there's a lot of important energy issues, as we mentioned, the grids um, at capacity. Everybody want to go to net zero. Well, we got a lot of tools to do it and in some places not able to do so. Yeah. So there goes that. Well, David, uh, it was a pleasure. Let's uh, reconvene again next week. You guys can uh, subscribe, obviously, consumerchoiceradio.com on that podcast. Still not required to register. But we'll see. David, <laughs> maybe, we'll hit that 10, maybe we'll get to that $10 million threshold, and then we have to, then we have to register. Yes, indeed. Until then, David. <laughs> All right. <laughs>